is going to be five weeks of five different guys talking essentially about five different life verses or favorite verses. Um, sometimes those things are used interchangeably. And the neat thing about this is you're going to get a chance to kind of hear the heart of five different individuals, hear the life, if you will, of five different individuals. And then you'll hear a verse that maybe you know already, and maybe you don't know. And so it's an opportunity to kind of really drill deep on one verse and get a sense of what God might be saying to the person that's speaking and what God might be saying to you in that verse or verses. And maybe it's a new verse and it's kind of an opportunity to say, well, I hadn't seen that one before. When I, this brought up, when Kyle asked me, this brought up an interesting memory. For whatever reason, my memory's about as long as my little finger. But this one somehow stuck there. When I was like nine or ten, maybe I was younger, I remember distinctly being in a Sunday school class where this sweet old missionary lady was there teaching us. She had been passing through. And she asked us, what's your favorite Bible verse? And I thought, heck if I know. I'm not even sure I know the Bible, let alone know what my favorite Bible verse is. I was raised with a father as a pastor, but you know how that goes. Pastor's kids are kind of the worst anyhow. So I wasn't necessarily a student of the word. Let's just put it that way. And so my cousins, I had two girl cousins that were there, and they gave their Bible verse that was their favorite one. And you know what I did, right? That's my favorite Bible verse as well. Isn't that an amazing coincidence? And I look back and I think, how stupid. But the reality is, I didn't know the Bible that well. And I didn't, certainly didn't have a favorite verse. And so the implication is that you know the Bible enough, at least in part, to say, yes, that verse is very specific to me and I like that verse. But also, that verse can usually be one that maybe God has spoken to you, right? God's word is his uh, voice to us. Our prayer is our voice to God. And so God can take any one of those verses and speak it to you in a specific time, a specific need, in response to a specific prayer. And maybe if you've read the Bible before and you've read that verse before, but because of where you're at in life right now, it just sort of jumps off the page at you. So this is not like spooky or magic. It's just sort of the reality that God can sometimes take his word and just custom fit it to the season that you're in in life right now. And so be a student of the word, but also be open to the fact that God may be using a verse to really communicate to you very specifically. Now, the delicate nature here is that it's easy to take one of the 10 zillion verses in the Bible and sort of pluck it out of context and attach it to your life and say, well, that's my favorite verse, and God's speaking that to me when it might not really accurately fit. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're, you're married, you got a couple kids, you collectively both work, you collectively make maybe $30,000, $40,000 a year. You've got a mortgage, you got some car notes and that kind of thing. But you had this dream. You had this very specific dream. You know, it's one of those dreams that kind of lasts seemingly through the night, and you wake up with a dream, and it just seems real. And you had this dream that you owned a Tesla X. <laughs> and you felt great in that Tesla, and it was all fashioned, and it could drive itself, and it was really a fun dream. And then it was just sort of a dream. But you woke up, but it was kind of lingering there. And then your in-laws took you to Cracker Barrel for breakfast, because that's where all old people go anyhow. And you had like a dozen people ahead of you in line, and rather than sit on the rocking chairs out in front, you kind of hung out in the gift shop. You looked for the Christmas ornaments that are there year-round, or the, the three pounds of chocolate that made into a, a buckeye or something. And then there's the velvet Elvis, but there's also this piece of driftwood that had been nicely engraved and carved with, 
with, with the verse from Luke 11, 9. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. And you say, that's for me. That Tesla, which starts in the low 80s, that's my car. God gave me that verse. That means that dream and that verse are connected. God told me, and you go back to the table, glory to God. God told me to buy the Tesla. No, that's not what that means. You're taking your verse out of context. Jesus was talking to his disciples, teaching them how to pray. It does not relate to your Tesla dream. You can't afford that Tesla. So you see where I'm going. It's easy to sort of take a verse and sort of arm twist God, which is not the intention of the verse. But here's another scenario. You're going through your daily devotional time. You're reading Psalm 46. And you've been kind of busy. You haven't had a lot of time to read because you've been really pretty distracted. You've been pretty stressed out. But today's the day that you are reading. But you go through Psalm 46 and you come to verse 10 where it says, Be still and know that I am God. Now God's speaking in that context to the children of Israel, but you really sense that God is saying to you, you know what, your life is just too fast. I need you to slow down. I need you to be still with me on a regular basis. I need you to know that I am God and you're not. And so that's a verse that you might have read before, but this time it really resonates with you because you're in a busy season. You've been putting a lot of priorities in front of your relationship with God. And so you really feel like God spoke that verse to you. And I would say, you know, yeah, he did. Even though it's kind of a universal application for your situation, God said that verse is for you. So it's the discernment piece. It's the wisdom piece. It's the, uh, I can't say it better. It's, it's really understanding that all verses are good, but not necessarily good for you right then. Because if your dad asks you to cut the grass, and you say, you know, God told me just to be still and know that he's God. That doesn't apply. So. But you can try it. But we know that all scripture is God-breathed. So in the context of all Scripture being God-breathed, it's exciting to look into it and say, how might God be using this verse in your life today? So I had a hard time kind of finding out which verse I wanted to talk about because I, quite, quite, quite frankly, have a lot of verses I really enjoy and, and a lot of verses that have kind of rolled around in my spirit through different seasons of my life. And ironically, the one that I want to talk about, and I'll share with you just in a second, kind of ties into the series that we just left, the Jonah series, where Jonah was a prophet on the run, a running prophet. Well, I'm going to talk about a verse that came from David. David was on the run. Now, the difference between those two runnings is Jonah was running from God. David was running in accordance with God's plan for his life, but it wasn't very pretty because David was in a pretty hectic situation. Let's just read the verse, and then I'll kind of unpack it a little bit. From Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I would have despaired unless I believed. Unless I believed. You know what? I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And so that verse has spoken to me so many times in my life that I slow it down and I read it to you with a sort of inflection that I get when I read that verse. And it's, it's had its application many times in my life. It's got its application in my life right now. I've got some things going on in my life right now that are difficult for me. And I am just believing that I'm going to see the goodness of God. Um, Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh, which is sort of a metaphor for I got something like uncle way. 
I've got a thorn in the flesh literally five days a week, and it won't go away. And I'm really trusting God, not that it'll go away, because it may not go away. Because the, the only thing I hear from God when I talk about this is my grace is sufficient, is that I will carry you through this, but right now I'm not going to take it away. And so I believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So it keeps me from despair. So I frequently jot down in my Bible, um, when God speaks to me from a verse, I'll write in one of my Bibles that say, you know, that, this is the time, this is the date that God spoke to me. My wife tells me the first time I really resonated with that verse was after our daughter died, and I didn't write it in the Bible, probably because I couldn't breathe during those days, and it probably was true. That probably is the first time. But interestingly enough, I wrote in my Bible another time, and that was in 2007. I wrote in there IWT. For those of you who might have been in Bowling Green during 2007, there was IWT, which was Impact World Tour, which was an initiative by um, YWAM, thank you, uh, Youth with the Mission, that was bringing the gospel in a relevant way to the masses. And I wrote in there, in BG in 2007. Debbie and I were the co-chair of the whole initiative in BG, and it was quite burdensome at time. And it was heavy. And anytime you sort of bring the gospel and you, and you bring in Christ to the masses, there's a lot of pushback. And so I felt burdened during that time. And so I wrote in there, that, you know what, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I had no idea that part of the goodness of the God was this. Because that guy, who's my son-in-law, and those two little munchkins in the middle, who I call my grands, they are really a result of IWT. Because that guy had his journey with Christ, Adam, enhanced, built up, developed. Part of God's stepping stones for him was IWT. My daughter was pretty bent on marrying a Christian. So had, she, had he not followed Christ, entered into a relationship with Christ, enhanced it with Christ, they wouldn't be together. I wouldn't have that family. And so I had no idea when I said, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living as a result of IWT. But that's what happened. And so what I want to share is how this verse is not, I'm going to get my Tesla. This verse is about God is good. And as we echoed in large audiences all the time, all the time God is good. And I just don't see it right now. And so it's understanding, it's hanging on to, it's, 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 it's the conviction that regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, regardless of whether you don't know who Christ is or you've walked with Christ for 80 years, there's the sense where God is good. And I'm convinced that I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because all of us have been in those spaces where I just don't like where this ship is headed. I don't feel like this thing is going well. I don't feel like this decade is going well. This moment is going well. I don't like what I'm seeing, whether it's in the, in the moment or the more long term. And God's into the details. He's into the little things. Several of us had gone to Costa Rica and come back a, a couple weeks ago, and we didn't get to bed till like 2 or 3 in the morning, and I was exhausted. And, and my wife had agreed to, no, we kind of both agreed to, but more her than I, to host this pretty major party at our house in that afternoon. And I had zero energy for that party. And there was rain forecast the whole day. And I talked to God in the morning. I said, God, I cannot handle this day because we were expecting about 49 little kids under the age of seven. And I thought, if, that's, if this is going to be in the house, I'm going to leave. I just can't handle it. 
I need the grace. God, I need your grace somehow to handle this. And maybe the grace would have been for me to leave. I don't know. But I said, God, I, I just need your grace. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to pull off. But I can't handle this party with zero sleep and 49 kids under the age of seven. Well, two weeks ago, the sky opened up and the sun came out. And it was a gorgeous day. And all 100 of these kids were outside. It was a wonderful day. It was a great day. But it's those little things where, now, is God always going to answer my prayer? Is the sun always going to shine? No, it's not. But I was confident that God was going to do something that would allow me to survive this event that I really didn't think I could survive. And there was grace for it. And so I'm going to use that word grace. We're going to come back and talk about grace. But there was grace for the journey. And that's kind of what David is saying in this verse, is there's grace for the journey, but you've got to go after the grace. So I get involved as a mental health professional. I get involved with lives that, doesn't, that don't seem... Um, doable. Like they, they see where their kids are going. They see where the marriage is going. They see the trajectory of this thing. And they say, it's not good. It's not good. And so I come alongside of them. I try to help them with a bigger picture. I try to help them with maybe a godly perspective if that's their influence. But I'm not going to make things all better, but I can possibly give them another way of looking at it. And I have several, but I have one in mind where the marriage is in rough shape, but the wife has a really strong connection with God. And the marriage is in rough shape. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the wife, and it's just sort of, I'm saying to myself and to her, I said, what is God doing in your life right now as a result of what you're going through? Rather than saying, it's got to go away, we've got to fix this thing, it's got to get better. Well, it hasn't, and in the short term, it doesn't look like it's going to. So what's God doing to you? How is God changing you? And there's so much more life in that than simply, I want this to go away. What is God up to? What was God up to in Jonah's life? He was changing Jonah, getting rid of some of his pride. Jonah didn't like where God was going. God, I know where this is going to go, and I don't like it. We're not going to read the whole story of David, but David was the same thing. God was changing and developing David as a result of his journey. He's, you know, he's fighting spears. He's having, he's having to jump over landmines in modern-day version. You know, Saul's after him. This crazy thing. He's going to be king, but not yet. And so there's this, there's this journey he's on. And he doesn't like where this thing is going. And we're on this journey, and sometimes we don't like where this thing is going. For the minute, for the day, for the year, whatever. And so it's understanding God's always at work. God is always good, even though I don't know where the ship is headed. And we all, we're all in that same space. So that universality is that we all have times where I don't know where it's going. So let's take a closer look, and I'll put the, put the verse back up on the screen. Let's take a closer look, and then we'll look at the context of it, and we'll look at some of the translation, because as you know, the Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew, and so when it gets translated into English, um, things change. And for instance, uh, I would have despaired is not in the original text. It's usually italicized, which means it's not in the original text. It doesn't mean that it's not belongs there. It doesn't belong there. It just makes the verse easier to read because literally that, that verse says, yet I believed. So it kind of jumps into it, yet I believed. And so I'm going to read you just a couple different translations to show you the benefit of reading the context and reading different translations, which if you can get them electronically, you can get any number of Bibles on your phone. But the ESV, the English Standard Version, says, I believe that I, sh- that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. So it, it kind of has the same concept. It says, I believe. The New Living Translation says, Yet I'm confident I will see the goodness of the Lord. 
And the NIV last one says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. So in the different translations, I'm looking at the context. The one that I read said, I would have despaired. I am confident. It's the same concept. There's a, there's a conviction there that starts out, there's a conviction. And if you've read the Psalms much, the Psalms are like, you know, roller coaster. They're up, they're down. Many of them are written by David, and this one that I'm reading from is written by David. But there's some highs and there's some lows in the Psalms. And so I like them myself because I can really connect to the fact that, God, you're awesome. God, what's going on? God, you're awesome. God, what's going on? Because that's just real life. We end up in those spaces. And David starts this, this chapter out by praising God. And so bear with me and follow with me if you'd like. I'm just going to read the chapter in its context. There's only 14 verses, but again, I'm sure you know this, that chapters and verses are not God-inspired. Man cut that up and put that into pieces so it'd be easier to read, easier to reference, but it was originally written like a letter. And so the verses where they stop, where they start, is just arbitrary. And the chapters where they start and stop is arbitrary, but that's not a bad thing. Just know that when you read the Bible. So let's read together. I'll read. You can just follow along with your eyes. Um, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Remember, this guy's running for his life. He's dodging bullets. He's dodging spears. He's stepping over landmines, figuratively. When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, literally, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host and camp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He'll lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, yes, I will seek your face, O Lord. I shall seek your face, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. And in context, it's probably more a conditional, if my father and mother had forsaken me. But the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. Because of my foes, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence. And then our verses. I would have despaired unless I believed that I must see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Just wait for the Lord. So you see the, the emotion wrapped up in the chapter. And you see the context. Clearly his situation is different than our situation, assuming no one's chasing you with spears. But the universal application that we all go through tough times but God knows that 
and he's good. But we don't see his goodness right now. And so there's that, there's that tension. Paul said in his letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he said, I'm perplexed, but I'm not despairing. I'm perplexed. And God spoke that verse to me just a couple weeks ago. I'm perplexed, but I'm not despairing. But I have no idea what's going on right now. It's not making sense, but I'm not despairing. And here's a great Thomas Aquinas quote. Um, he defined like supernatural, spiritual despair like this. He said, despair consists in a man ceasing to hope for a share of God's goodness. Despair consists in a man ceasing to hope for a share of God's goodness. I mean, I love that. It's so real. It's, it's almost like that comes out of this verse. It doesn't, but it almost seems like it does. Despair is when I say, you know what? Me and God, he doesn't like me. I was talking to a patient just the other day who's writing down all the things she feels about God. And she said, God does not like me. God does not want me. And I get it. That's what you feel right now, and I understand that. But it's not true. But she felt that way. And that's despair. And David's saying, I believe that God is good. And he said, I believe that God created us, here's the difference, to share in his goodness. He says, despite my current situation, despite the fact that I'm running and I'm surviving on a daily basis and a nightly basis, God's goodness is greater than that. So since God is good and my situation is not, then my current situation does not define God's goodness. And we can maybe know that in our head, but it's tough to bring it down to here in our heart. I was talking to, on that same note, I was talking to a lifeguard the other day at the pool. I'm in the pool kind of early in the morning. And the lifeguards are college kids. Okay, you do the math. They don't usually get up that early in the morning. And so when I was in the pool at 5.30 in the morning, and I said to the lifeguard, thanks for being here at 5.30 in the morning, and she looked like she was barely moving. And I said, this is a good thing for you. I said, you'll learn some good discipline getting up this early in the morning. And she said, I know that in my head, but I don't, don't know that in my life. And it was, it was kind of cute. She intellectually understood that, but experientially she wasn't feeling it right now. And so I wasn't confident she would save me if I drowned, so I had to swim really carefully. But we can know this stuff in our head, but not know it in our heart until God speaks it to us, until we can feel it. And generally, it's when we're in the need of it. Otherwise, it's, it's, um, it's um, conceptual, intellectual, theoretical. I can't find the right word. It's something that doesn't really apply to me right now, but he has a great thought. But it's not for me, because I've never really had to suffer. And so it's in the moment that it can go from the head to the heart, if we let it. Psalm 105, I don't have this on the screen, says this, For the Lord is good. It's a statement. The Lord is good. His kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. That's a Thanksgiving song, right? The Lord is good. It's a statement. It's a factual statement. We know that, but we don't feel that. His faithfulness to all generations. It wasn't just to David. It's to us as well. Which means then we need to be what I call grace diggers. Um, getting a hold of the grace of God. And we could spend a series on the grace of God. So I'm not doing it justice today. I am not going to the depths of grace. But there's this thought of grace being provision, God's provision. Uh, it means different things in the New Testament versus the Old Testament. Um, we are now talking the verse from the Old Testament. So it's protection from my enemies. It's provision. It's grace. It's, 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 the, um, it's the supernatural power 
to do something that I couldn't normally do on my own. It's the provisions of God in the storm. In the storm. And that's the key thing. It's in the storm. David was running for his life. I was over at my daughter's and son-in-law's house. They just moved. And my sweet little two-year-old, Ruthie Lynn, was playing on the riding mower. And down she went. She fell down. And she fell down on her back. And she, there was a brick there. And she landed on a brick. And it was really a painful experience. And so I scooped her up. The grace of God is I was there to comfort her while she suffered. I couldn't take the suffering away from her. I held her closely to my head and to my ear until I realized that was pretty stupid because she was screaming at a volume 10 right next to my ear. I think I might have lost permanent hearing, but it was okay. It was worth it. I had her and I comforted her as long as I could until she said, I want my mommy. And I knew it was time for me to, to check out. I was only short term. I just stopped the bleeding. But it was the grace. I provided grace and there was comfort for her in the midst of the storm. So David is saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm, David is saying, I'm going to choose to not see God through my current circumstance. But I'll see my circumstance through the lens of God's goodness and sovereignty. I'm going to see my circumstance through the lens of God's goodness and sovereignty, just like Jonah did when he was in the water. This is what David did. I'm going to look for God to show up here. Kyle did this fabulous 30-day devotional on Jonah. And in there, he referenced John Calvin, who said, if grace is an option, then despair is an option no longer. So if grace is an option, if I'm understanding that there's a provision of God that I don't understand, but it's out there, if grace is an option, then despair is no longer an option. Grace and despair can't, go, it can't coexist. If I believe in grace then I can't despair. Now, God isn't saying that he's going to fill everything on my wish list. The rain is always going to stop, and I'm going to get the Tesla. That's not what God is saying. But David's saying, I'm going to see God's goodness. My hope is greater than my circumstances. My hope is greater than simply what I see. I have no idea. I, would have no, I had no idea in 2007 that IWT would have brought me two grandchildren. I had no idea. I just knew that the goodness of God was greater than my circumstances. And so I start to separate out present from potential. The natural from the supernatural. So there's this gap between, I know God's going to show up, but he hasn't yet. So what do I do in the gap? I wait. I wait. I don't like to wait. We're an immediate gratification culture. Now, if not sooner, I don't want to wait. I don't have to wait. But we have to wait. And that's what, the, that's what David's saying in that verse. I'm going to wait. Kyle and I had breakfast a couple weeks ago. Well, we were supposed to have breakfast, but one of us didn't show up. I'll let you decide who that was. It was me. And Kyle waited graciously for me. He waited very graciously. And then he waited, and then he waited, and then he sent me a really nice text. Hey, just want to make sure you're safe this morning. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thought we were meeting today. And if you've been on the other end of those, it's like, oh boy, you just, there's no way getting out of that hole. You kick yourself, and you kick yourself, and you realize, I just, I just got to let it go. 
And then he said, go ahead and let it go, Tim. It's okay. Because he knew me. But there are many ways to wait. Kyle waited graciously for me. And I never showed up. I'm not God. God will show up. But there's a gracious waiting. There's an impatient waiting. There's a bitter waiting. There's a I'll take it in my own hands kind of waiting. There's an anxious waiting. There's all kinds of way to wait. But we're told to wait for the Lord to show up. Wait for your adult child to grow up. Wait for that 7-year-old to become a 17-year-old, to become a 37-year-old, to become a... Wait. So it might be years, which doesn't seem very fair. And your waiting also might be largely influenced by how you experienced God in your formative years of life. Because my formative years will shape, not always defined, but it will shape how I wait for God. When Ruthie Lynn fell off the mower, I was right there, and I comforted her. But some of us have been in situations where there wasn't comfort available, where you might have actually been abused or neglected, or things just weren't as they should have been. And so, since your brain is not fully developed as a young child, the brain develops from the back to the front, and the last thing that come in is the prefrontal cortex, where you, you get your, the, the reality, the bigger picture, the insight, the foresight, the hindsight. When you can't see the bigger picture as a kid, you develop sometimes these dysfunctional strategies of waiting. I'll do it on my own. I'll take care of it on my own. I'll trust no one. I'll expect nothing because no one was ever there for me. And so some of these habits as a, as a formative child can really influence years later in life. And it can mess with your relationship with God because I'm tempted to not trust God if I have these sort of ingrained habits. And so since God won't, I will. Because God never will, and I, I'll do it myself. Or I'll run. I'll just keep running. I end up with a lot of people in my office that are just running through life. It's like, let's stop. Let's just stop a second and see what God is up to. And so how you have come along in life will affect how you wait for God now. Whether it's gracefully waiting, as Kyle did for me, or whether it's impatiently waiting, I'm just taking my own hands. I'm just doing it myself. It's an option. It's not a good option. So the text says to be strong. Let your heart take courage. Let your heart take strong. There's, there's two words in, in Greek that mean the same thing in, in English, which is basically the, the strengthen part. Um, be strong and your heart's going to be strong. So it's head-heart issue. Because hopelessness, right? Hopelessness is a heart issue. I had a patient call me on Friday and say, hey, my son's in Nashville. He's, his girlfriend said he's going to kill himself. What should I do? And I said, well, he probably doesn't want to kill himself because he really wants to die. He probably wants to kill himself because he doesn't have any other options and he's feeling hopeless. So there's a heart issue of hopelessness that we need to kind of get beyond. So it's, it's strengthen your heart. Even though I feel hopeless, I need to strengthen my heart. Sometimes we can't do that alone. We need friends with us. When we went through our crisis, we had friends around us that could strengthen us. And you've probably done the same thing. God can work through those friends. Uh, you've heard the old uh, philosophical adage that says, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's, that's a reality. It's going to make you stronger or it's going to make you more bitter. As I've said before, crisis doesn't build character, it reveals character. But repeatedly going through crisis and repeatedly uh, believing that the goodness of God is going to show up builds then your resilience. 
builds your strength of heart, your strength of character. So I'm going to strengthen myself in the flesh or with grace one way or the other. In the flesh never works. When I strengthen myself with grace, then I'm learning to depend on God in all circumstances because I know God is good and he's going to show up. So I'll either learn to depend on the future goodness of God or I'll make the assumption that God can't be trusted. And if I couldn't, kind of a little more of the psychobabble, if I couldn't trust my father, if my father wasn't there to trust me, oftentimes we overlay the two, God and father, on top of one another until we get old enough to separate them out. Since God failed me, since my father failed me, then God will fail me. I can't trust God. Which brings us to this full circle of let's make sure we spend a lot of time reading the Bible. Not to become, as Kyle said in the past, uh, religiously obese, but let's read the Bible for the sake of really understanding the heart of God. Because we don't fully know the heart of God. We've experienced human hearts, and some have been very affirming and very helpful, and some have not. And so to understand the heart of God means I need to read the text on a regular basis. There's just no shortcut to reading the text and filling my head with the truth of God and so I can understand better how to wait. And there's no shortage of verses on waiting. I could spend a lot of time reading all those, and I won't. I'll just read three. Only the last one I'll put on the screen. First one's in Lamentations 3, where Jeremiah was captured by the Babylonians. He was speaking as one who was also captured, but he was prophesying to his fellow brothers and sisters, hoping that he'll be able to be let go pretty soon. They're in captivity. He says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Just a blanket statement. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. It's good to wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. The silent part is the frustrating part. We don't wait, we don't wait very silently. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, the same author who said he was perplexed but not despairing, he said this, Therefore, we do not lose heart but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond, far beyond all comparison. What I'm going through now will not compare to what's coming up next, whether it's this land or on the other side of Jordan. And then the one on the screen says, uh, from Psalm 30, verse 5, David said this, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor, also translated goodness, his goodness is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. We all know how a good night's sleep can help some things, right? Things don't change if our attitude changes. And so we know that it's going to be tough for a little while, David says. But you know what? Morning's coming. Hang on. The present will not be my future. Many of us have had some crushing blows through our life. Many of us. You may have lost your innocence. You may have lost your marriage. You may be losing your marriage. You may have lost a loved one. All these things are crushing blows. And the present may look very hopeless. But God is preparing me for something far greater than what I'm experiencing presently. God is preparing me. God is preparing you. God was preparing David. God was preparing Jonah for something far greater than what he was experiencing presently. Hence, I'm going to wait the goodness of God. It's summertime, which means it's beach ball season. And if a beach ball is filled with air, it cannot stay 
underwater. You know where I'm going with my metaphor, don't you? We were not designed to stay underwater. For those of us that understand we're a sinner and we understand that Christ died on the cross, that grace was given to pay for the sins that I can't pay for, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit as a result of that, I'm designed, I'm engineered to be a partaker of God's goodness. And with the presence of the Holy Spirit, I won't stay underwater. I can't. I'm designed to come up. I'm designed to find the grace of God, to find the peace of God, to find the hope of God, regardless of what I'm going through. We're created that way. That isn't the power of positive thinking. We're created that way. We're designed to experience the goodness of God. A song that I have written, uh, a line from a song from Bebby Mason that we have written above our door in our house uh, says this, when you can't trace his hand or when you can't trust his hand or when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Just like a child would to a parent, I don't agree with your decision and what you're telling me right now, but I have to trust your heart that you have the best interest, my best interest in your mind. So too, when we can't see what God's up to, we have to trust his heart. So to really know the heart of God and to trust the heart of God is a journey. And we're all on that journey. It's okay to be hopeless right now. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay to be in despair. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay to not know who Jesus is. It's just not okay to stay there. And so this whole journey that we're on doesn't mean after my sermon today, boom, everything's better. We got it all figured out. No, no, no. I simply gave you a verse. That has, been that has been significant for me. And I don't know how God's going to use it for you. I don't know how relevant it will be in your life. But I'm going to leave you with a couple questions, as Kyle often does. What, where is your confidence? Where's your confidence? When things go south, where do you turn for comfort? Where do you turn for guidance? What do you do? When you've lost your confidence, where's your confidence? What's the go-to? Is it money? Is it your status? Is it your strength? Is it your kids? Is it your stuff? Where's your confidence? Because God has interesting ways of kind of rocking us to make sure that we know what do we really trust in. And the second question is, who's in control of your life? Who is in control of your life? What is in control of your life? Have you lived long enough to realize that control is really an illusion? It's not really possible. Faithfulness is big, but control is more difficult. Who's running your life? So my hope is that God will use that verse and how it's touched my life, and maybe God will use it to impact you as well. Can you stand with me, and then we'll just pray together? Father God, thank you for your greatness, for your goodness. God, thank you for the trials that keep us on our knees, the trials that keep us depending on you and not on us. God, we are so tempted to grab what we can grasp, to lean on what we can see, to believe what we know, to trust what's in front of us. But God, you have been gracious enough to help us realize that that is just not the answer. The answer only lies in understanding who you are.
So God, I pray that we would understand who you are on a new level, on a daily basis. That we would understand your goodness on a very practical, daily level. God, change us. Change us. Conform us to your image. Conform us. God, teach us your heart. In Christ's name, amen.